Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. 1 Kings 18, 20-21, Revival or Judgment. Revival or Judgment. I have a picture to show you to start off with this. And the picture is... I'll, I'll just read the title. Most bashed bridge gets hit again by truck despite new warnings. Can you get the other picture up there too? There's, a, there's the other one. This is how they got it out. Now, leave that one frozen there. Uh, I'm going to read this. You can't say he wasn't warned. The most bashed bridge in Britain has been hit by a truck again just days after the low railroad overpass was covered in new warning signs and yellow jacket stripes. <laughs> you can see the warning, right? The nine-foot-high Stutney Bridge in Ely has reportedly been struck 120 times since 2009. And just now another truck got wedged under it, a 45-degree angle, which you can see the roof was torn off. Uh, it says here, two flatbed trucks with a crane were needed to, to extricate the vehicle from its predicament. There were no injuries, but the bridge suffered minor damage. The driver was cited for a moving violation. Drivers need to know the height of their vehicles, not guess, the officials were saying. In short, wise up, size up, you know. Now, you, you, you can't say he wasn't warned, but as we all know from history, the British have a height challenge. They are height challenged. Uh, a little known fact from history was that um, that cost them the Revolutionary War. Did you know that? Yeah, that's right. Uh, when warships were actually closing in on George Washington when he was crossing the Delaware... And they hit the bridge. They didn't see it. They sunk. They couldn't get to George Washington. That's why we won the war. <laughs> Paul's coming out with a blog on this. <laughs> I'm kidding about that part, obviously. But, but it's, someone, someone's telling me either they, they happened with their child or they read, read the story, the Washington Crossing reenactment. True story. A parent was there with a kid, and they were watching the reenactment. And the kid turned to the parent and said, why didn't George Washington just take the bridge? Yeah. <laughs> I had to throw all that in. But anyway, you can't say you can't say they weren't warned, right? You can't say they weren't warned, and yet they keep hitting the bridge. That would never happen in the United States if we had that, right? That would never happen here. It must just be a British thing, right? And it, it's not just truckers, though. It's not just truckers. God has also warned countries very clearly of something, of a crash coming on. In fact, in Jeremiah 18, it says, If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and if that nation I warn repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I intended to do for it. It can't get any more clear than that. And that applies to every country in the world, every age. It can't get any more clear than that. And yet we have seen, if you've been a history buff or even followed history, we have seen nation after nation throughout history wrecked for ignoring God's word. We have seen nation after nation crash after ignoring God's warnings. And now it is our turn. It's now time for the USA Today 
to face this. Will we see, we are, we are standing on a cliff, a cliff with a choice to make. Will we choose revival or judgment? Revival or judgment. Israel faced this same choice thousands of years ago. Let's see what Elijah says to them and to the United States today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship. We thank you for bringing so many of us through trials, whether we're still going through them or you've brought us out of them. We thank, pray, thank you for the grace, the grace, the mercy and grace that you've shown and are still showing as so many of us are still going through trials. <clears throat> we pray for that same mercy and grace now for each one of us, our lives, for our church, for your church in America, for, for our country. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's read the passage. First Kings 18. First Kings 18, verse 20 and 21. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. We are heading here in 1 Kings 18 up to one of the most dramatic events in history. Elijah on Mount Carmel. One man... One man will stand against the demonic hordes of hell represented by 450 false prophets. The false prophets still represent hell, still represent Satan. I call them hell's evangelists. They're all over this country. After three years of waiting, after three Dry, trying years, Elijah is ready to explode onto the scene. The mass of people waiting on Mount Carmel. The mob is also waiting expectantly. They're waiting for rain. They're waiting for rain, but first must come fire. First comes fire. Before the rain can come, before the blessings can come, there's always a refining fire. A refining fire. And a necessary change of heart with that fire. Verse 21, I'm going to read it again. Elijah went forth before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. He says, How long will you waver? The word has the idea here of tottering. Think of a teeter-totter, up and down, up and down, tottering. The picture, the picture of the word is like a drunkard staggering, veering. You know, when someone's drunk, they can't walk a straight line. They're veering to one side, then the other. That's the word picture that he uses here. And Israel is constantly wavering. They would start to follow God and a godly king, but then an ungodly king, a wicked king would come along, an idolatrous king would come along, and they, most of them would follow his lead. Most of them, Baal was very popular now. The majority of the prophets and, and, and the majority of the, the pastors in Israel at this time had caved into the culture. Can you believe that could happen? 
caving into the culture. The people are flocking to these big Baal churches and the orgies that went along with them. That's what, if you weren't here last week, you missed what we talked about that. They were flocking to those. And Elijah says, you are standing on a spiritual cliff. You must make a definite decision, Jehovah or Baal. You got to decide. Joshua said the same thing. Remember back when Joshua, just before we got to Elijah, we looked at Joshua, Joshua 24, 15. But Elijah, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Remember that one? I hope you memorized it when we were there. Remember that one? We all have a choice to make. Everyone has a choice to make. We must choose. Elisha said it. Joshua said it. We're going to get to Elisha next. Uh, Joshua said it. We have a choice to make. We must choose. There is no neutral. There is no neutral. As a modern day prophet once sang, you got to serve somebody. Oh, yes, you got to serve somebody. Oh, it may be the devil. Oh, it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. Did I nail it? Did I nail it? Right. When I retire, I'm going to follow Bob Dylan down the road there. But he's right. We got to serve somebody. And if we don't choose to serve the one true God and his son, Jesus Christ, we are automatically serving Satan. By default. Last week we looked at Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. I'm going to read it again. As for you, talking about all of us at one time, but any of us who have not put our faith in Christ. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, we were by nature objects of wrath. If you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you are not living for Jesus Christ today, then you are living for Satan. You're living for Satan. We're going to come back to that passage a little bit later. Hang on. It's the same for a country, the same for the USA today. We are either dedicated to God or we are under Satan's power and deception. Where do you think we are today? We're either going to dedicate to him or we're going to continue under Satan's power and deception. Elijah challenged Israel to make a definite choice. And look what they said. Verse 18, I mean, chapter 18, verse 21. Look what they said. But the people said nothing. But the people said nothing. Nada. The people said nothing. They pleaded the fifth, right? Gallup poll, undecided, right? But no is an answer too, isn't it? No is also an answer. I mean, I'm sorry. No answer. No answer is also an answer, isn't it? No answer. Not saying anything is answering the question. I remember someone from our church was looking, uh, they moved to Philly and they were looking for, a, well, they're looking for one of their kids for a new church. And they asked me about this church. I said, I don't know anything about it, but I always help people find a good church. You know, everybody who moves, we help you, I help you get connected. And so I called that church and I, and I went on their website and it was real fuzzy. You couldn't really tell what they believed doctrinally. It was like interesting, surprising. 
that was a bad, that was a red flag for me. But so I called and I said, listen, I just want to know where you guys are coming from spiritually. So I have these lightning rod questions. You know, I said, what is your position on X, Y, and Z? Some real easy kind of dividing sheep and the goats question. And I'll never forget the, the, the secretary said, well, we don't really like to answer that question. And I said, you just did. She said, oh. That was it. No answer is an answer, right? No answer is just as clear as yes or no. Elijah was challenging the Israelites to choose between two diametrically opposed choices. They couldn't both be true. Jehovah and Baal can't both be true. It's impossible. One choice was definitely right. One was definitely wrong. They had to make a decision. Jehovah and Baal were complete opposites. There's no way you could follow both of them. They're complete opposites. One said, be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. The other one said, let's get naked. Right? Remember we talked about last week? That's what he said. That's what they did. They all show up to church, and they all got naked and had orgies. And, you know, nothing's changed. Thousands of years later, nothing has changed, right? God is still saying, the world's still saying, let's get naked. And God's still saying, be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. It, nothing's changed. And there's no way someone could follow both Baal and Jehovah. They were polar opposites. We see the same today. There's a popular teaching in America today. Uh, the media loves to teach it. That the Christian God and Allah are the same person. Same person. My kids are taught that in school. You know, the same schools, you're not allowed to teach religion. But you're allowed to teach that you know, Jehovah and Allah are the same person. Go figure that one out, right? In schools. And, and I've had some very interesting conversations through my kids with some teachers, uh, by the way. Uh, but I always say, read the Koran and the Bible side by side, and you tell me it's the same God. It's impossible. God is not schizophrenic. There's very different spiritual source on these two books, on the Bible versus the Quran. Read them. You'll be, look at it. Salvation. Muslims have to earn their salvation, and they never know if they do it. They live in fear. They have to earn their salvation. We as Christians know you can't earn salvation. It's a gift, a free gift that we receive through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Even the idea of, of love, Allah, the followers of Allah, there is no concept that he loves them. There is not a shred of love toward his followers in the Quran. No idea that there's no concept of that. But we know that Jehovah God loves us. He loves us so much that he even sacrifices one and only son for us. Let him be sacrificed in our place. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That concept is completely foreign to a follower of Allah. And that's why so many Muslims are coming to Christ all over the world. Tons of them. You know what the main draw for them is? They find out that God loves them. They find out that the one true God... Jehovah loves them, and they're in shock. They're drawn to that. Who wouldn't be, right? And that's what, that's what we're seeing. It, the USA, the same, the same idea in the USA that, well, we can all, you know, it doesn't matter which 
being you pray to. We're all, you know, we're all following the same route. But it's impossible. You know, I always see, the, or especially in our town, you see these coexist bumper stickers, you know, all the different religious symbols and coexist. Now, if, there's, if they're saying to treat each other with respect, that's okay. We all should do that, right? We all believe in that. But usually if you talk to these coexist bumper sticker people, that's not what they're really saying. They're really saying, if you talk to them, is they're really saying that they're all equally valid. And, and, and we're all, we can all coexist as long as you believe they're all equally valid. But if you don't believe they're all equally valid, then we won't tolerate the intolerant. That's what their tolerance really means. We won't tolerate the intolerant. So if you circle the cross on that bumper sticker and say that's the one way, you no longer can coexist with us. That's, that's, what, there's, that's what they're saying. It, it, it's, but, but as Christians, we do have to circle one. John 14, 6. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We must make a decision. We can't put that bumper sticker on. We can treat people with respect by all means. But we can't put that bumper sticker on because we don't believe we're all, they're all equally valid. We, we have to choose Jesus or syncretism. Syncretism is in the Old Testament. They took Jehovah and they mixed them together with all these different idols and they kind of just put them all together. That was called syncretism. That's what God judged. But we don't have that choice. And, but it's happening. The syncretism is happening now in, in the USA. 50% of even people who call themselves evangelical Christians, evangelical born-again Christians, 50% of them will say, I believe in Jesus, but I also believe there are other ways to God. 50%. Chuck, you see it on the street, right? And that's... I hear it a lot. I hear people say to me, well, I'm a Christian, but I believe all people worship the same God. And I always say, well, I believe you do. I believe you're worshiping the same God as the Buddhist. I believe you do, because if that's what you, where you are spiritually, you're not worshiping the one true God. The real, now, and this is where we're getting it. The real tragedy is not that the USA can't make up its mind. It's the real tragedy is that the U.S. as a country can't make up its mind. The real issue is that the church is wavering. The church is schizophrenic spiritually. That's the real tragedy. There is no hope for the United States today. There is no hope for the USA today. No hope until the church, unless... And until the church wakes up, we are going to determine revival or judgment. It's on us. Revival or judgment. Revelation 3.15 says this. Revelation 3.15 and 16 says this. It says about the church in Laodicea. It says, he says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. This Laodicean church describes the church in America today. There's no way around it. We are lukewarm. We have become room temperature. And as a result, we're nothing but spit Christians. I'm talking about the majority of, of Christians in the United States, those who call themselves Christians. Majority are just spit Christians. Nothing but spit. I'll give you, I'll give you an easy example. You see it all the time. You talk to people all the time. There's, there's a lot of solid Christians, there's a lot of solid churches, but the majority are nothing but spit. 
I'll give you an example. Uh, one of the best-known, I'll call him Hollywood's Christian. There's a, there's a guy in Hollywood, I'm not using names, but he, he's really big on Christian faith, and he's become the spokesman for Jesus in Hollywood. And there, a lot of Christians are like, oh, this guy's great. You know, I love what he's saying. But uh, I'll just read you a couple of things here. Uh, he says, the title of this is How Faith Impacts His Life Career. He says, God is real, God loves you. Uh, he, this guy recently came under some criticism because of the church he goes to and people thought it was intolerant and blah, blah, blah. But he's defending himself. He says, it has recently been suggested that I belong to a church which hates a certain group of people and, is infam- and that it is infamously anti-LGBTQ. Nothing could be further from the truth. I go to a church that opens their doors to absolutely everyone. So far, so good. That's good, right? We like that. We're the same way. We want everyone to come and hear the truth of Jesus Christ and be set free. But then he says, and he gives an example, despite what the Bible says about divorce, my church community was there for me every step of the way, never judging, just gracefully accompanying me on my walk. He recently divorced his wife. I'm going to read that again. Despite what the Bible says, Key, key words, despite what the Bible says about divorce, fill in the blank. My church community was there for me every step of the way, never judging, just gracefully, gracefully. That's called false grace, by the way. Gracefully accompanying me on the walk. They helped me tremendously, offering love and support. He divorces his wife. He gets another famous girlfriend, they got engaged, and now they're living together. Living together. Moved in together. Now, when I follow this and read the story and where he goes to church, and he goes to this big mega church, tons of pastors on staff, I said, you mean to tell me that in that big church with all those pastors, not one of those pastors... Not one of those pastors and not one person in this massive church, not one person cares enough about God's glory and cares enough about this man's spiritual good to speak the truth and love to him. Is that what you're telling me? And it's true. Not one person cares enough about God's glory or this man's spiritual condition to speak the truth and love to this man about his divorce, about living with this girl, about all the other crazy things. Nobody. There won't be a revival in the USA today until the church, there's no hope for this country until the church revives. Until the church revives. Every day we must make a choice. God's word or my way. God's word and God's way or our way. What we want. I'm going to follow my feelings. If I'm going to follow my heart. Do I hear a Disney song starting to play? Yeah. What am I going to follow? This is the problem with following the heart and all that stuff. You know, all the giggly goop. Uh, and, And... Jeremiah 17.9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Woo! That's the problem with following the heart. 
The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Our hearts, our minds, the Bible teaches, our emotions, our souls are damaged by sin, by the world, by Satan. And that's why we don't follow our hearts, our minds, our emotions, what we think spiritually. We follow what God says through his son, Jesus Christ. And we allow the Holy Spirit to show us what the word says. To take us to the word. And what does the word say to us? That's the, the key. Do you need proof that it's damaged? Do you need proof? I mean, do you really need proof? I'm going to give you another one. Another Hollywood story. Uh, if you need proof to show what, what sin has done to the natural man, the natural woman. Famous actress. I'm not going to read her name. She says, psychedelics will be the next big trend in the wellness culture. That's a drug, you know, psychedelics, you know, LSD, etc. Uh, she says here in a recent interview, she believes psychedelic drugs and the degree to which they impact addiction will be the next big thing in wellness development. Oh, well, that sounds okay so far. Oh, oh, here we go. I think how psychedelics affect health and mental health and addiction will come more into the mainstream, she told the outlet. How much more mainstream can we get, right? Uh, I mean, there's undeniably some link between being in that state and being connected to some other universal cosmic something. I'm, I'm just going to read that again. There's undeniably some link between being in that state, that's called being high, being on drugs, right? And being connected to some other universal cosmic something. I agree with her. They're called demons. It's demoniac, all right? They used them to, to talk to the idols in the Old Testament. They used the drugs to talk to the, the idols and the demons that were behind the idols in the Old Testament. She, now, she continued, yeah, and how do we do that as a culture? How do we evolve? What is the next iteration, whatever that is, what is the next iteration of the culture as it pertains to the way we think about things, the degree of openness to which we think about things and process things? You need more proof? Do we, do we need more proof? That's the natural man. That's what Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 is talking about. That's what it's talking about. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. I'm going to, re going to read it again, but I'm going to go a little further this time. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. That's what all of us were. If you haven't put your faith in Christ yet, that's what you are. There's only one way to be healed. There's only one way to be set free. Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we are dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. It's by grace you have been saved. The only way to be set free is through God's grace that we get by putting our faith 
in Jesus Christ, his son. His death on the cross in our place. His resurrection from the dead to prove he had the power over life and over death and over transforming our lives. There's only one way by putting our faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And the moment we do that, the moment you pray that prayer of faith, something incredible happens. Something life-changing happens. I can't explain it. I, you can only experience it, but 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The moment you pray that prayer, that instant, the Holy Spirit comes in, and you just become a whole, the Bible says we become aliens. We're infused with God's Spirit. We become a brand new person. We have a brand new spiritual DNA. That's our instant identity, but... As you know, if you've been a Christian for more than a a week or two, as you know, that's true, but the transformation is lifelong. (laughs) We aren't just beamed up to heaven complete. No, no, no. There's a transformation, and it's painful, and it takes perseverance, and it takes God's power, but there's a transformation that is lifelong. Romans 12, 2 talks about it. It says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We must be transformed. The word there for transformed in Greek is metamorphe. Where have we heard metamorphe before? Metamorphosis, when that, that little hairy worm called a caterpillar is tra- becomes a, a beautiful butterfly flying around. That's what happens with us. We are transformed. Transformed, transformed. But it all starts with a choice. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. It starts with a choice, day by day, minute by minute, second by second. Am I going to conform or be transformed? It's a constant decision. Every second we have this decision, don't we? Conform or be transformed. Worm, butterfly. You know, which way are we going to go? It starts with that choice to choose God over sin, to surrender to God and his word, to give all of my life to God. It's a constant, constant decision we have to make. But we all must choose. We all have to make up our mind. Listen, God, God's mercy and grace, we talk about God's mercy and grace all the time. God's mercy and grace, God will give all the grace in the world for anything we're struggling with. No matter how messed up we are, no matter how much transformation has to happen, no matter how much we've conformed in the past, no matter how much damaged we are, no matter how much Satan has got strongholds in our life, he will give all the grace in the world to help us to, to, to transform. The only thing God won't do is make up your mind for you. The only thing God won't do is make up our mind for us. He won't do it. But once we fall to our knees. Once we open our hands and surrender, he will give all the grace in the world. Let's pray. How was the Holy Spirit speaking to us through his word? How was the Holy Spirit convicting us What area of our life does he want to transform us? Something we need to make up our mind, surrender to him, repent of, so that he can transform us by the renewing of our mind. 
life and the direction our life ends up in can often be traced back to a simple decision. Giving our life to Jesus. Surrendering something in our life that is, that is keeping us from our full potential and God's purpose. Revival itself often starts with a simple prayer of surrender. You study the history of revivals, it starts with a simple prayer of surrender by even a single individual or a church. Will we pray that prayer of revival, each one of us? God, transform me. I surrender my life. I repent of this area of my life. I choose your way. I choose your word. I'm all in. And while we're praying about that, you might be here today and you aren't a Christian yet. You know who you're following. You know what power you're under. God's word is clear, but we, we know. But today could be the day that you're set free. Today could be the day that you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That you become a brand new creation. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace... You are saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Have you ever been saved by putting your faith in God's grace? By putting your faith in Jesus Christ who died in your place to set you free to give you a brand new life starting the moment you pray it and going on through all of eternity with him Sunday. Just as a life transformation starts with a single prayer, our eternal life starts with a single prayer of faith. God, please forgive me for everything in my life that goes against your word and your will. Forgive me, I repent I believe Jesus died for me on that cross. I put my faith in him. I give my life to you, God. If you have prayed that prayer of faith and you have just broken free, you've been set free by Jesus Christ. Whoever the Son sets free is free indeed.
Jesus said. You are transformed. You don't know it yet, but you are, you are a whole new creation. You're a new creature. I want to encourage you to, if you've taken that step of faith, to let me know or let someone else know before you walk out of this church today. Let somebody know. So we'll be excited for you and encourage you. Father, we pray that we would see revival. We hope for a spiritual awakening in our country. But whether that happens or not, Lord, we know that you want revival in each one of our lives. And nothing can stop that. If we'll surrender to you. Father, I pray for that in each one of our lives that we would know your full power and know your full love. Know intimacy with you in a way that we never thought possible and that that would transform us and touch everybody that we come into contact with. I pray that you would send out workers into your harvest field. From New Hope Community Church, send them out. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.